Hey, you're listening to the Quarry Podcast. Get ready to be encouraged and uplifted with us today. Last week we talked about dating. This week we're talking about being single. One of these topics is more popular than the other, and I'll let you guess which. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm trying to spit out my gum and not mess my lipstick up. I'm a hair of a hot mess, but it's going to get a lot better in about three minutes. All right. I want to talk to you guys about how to be single tonight. This is typically not a topic that people get really excited about because there's a lot of shade thrown at being single, right? whole lot of shade in songs, in movies, in school, in church. It's like if you're single, it's automatically just like a sad bummer of a thing, right? Nobody really has great feelings toward that. Like I said, in every breakup song, what they're heartbroken. Why? Because they're single now. They weren't single, now they are, right? There's movies, uh, 27 Dresses, you know, Always a Bridesmaid, Never a Bride, or Never Been Kissed, or The 40-Year-Old Virgin, or whatever. All these movies about being single. And are any of those characters portrayed positively? No way. It's like, oh, man, that sucks for them. Look, they're always 27 weddings you've been in. Oh, my gosh. Nobody feels good about being single. And this is actually kind of a view that the church and the world share, which is really interesting. Um, the world goes ahead and, like, starts it in middle and high school, right, feeling bad for you because you're single. But really in the church, as soon as you turn 18, it kind of starts, too. And people start telling you about their nephews or their grandsons. <laughs> Or legit, one time, I was in college, so I was a little over 18. Someone that I babysat for, and that I did really like, it was a nice Christian family. Nobody that you guys know, they didn't go to church here. But this nice family, I babysat for, this guy says, like, hey, Morgan, I was having, like, breakfast with a friend the other day, and he knows this, like, great single guy. And he was like, he's a great Christian, he's a great guy. And then I told him about you. I said, you were a great Christian and a great girl. And he said, we just stopped in the middle of our breakfast, and we prayed over that. And I was just like... I don't even know what to say. A stranger prayed for me and a stranger. I'm so confused. So, like, this is something that the church is really big on, too. As soon as you're 18, like, oh, who are you going to marry? Who Have you met this person? Have you seen that person? Don't worry. God's going to bring you someone. Uh, some really well-intended people have, you know, given me little pats on the back and been like, don't worry. God's got someone for you. And I'm like, I know. I'm not worried. <laughs> so you not only get this pressure in the world and at school and from your family, but also sometimes in church. And I just want to talk about that tonight because being single does not have to be a negative thing. Even if some people tolerate it for a while, like typically in the church, when you're younger, they're saying, good for you. You wait for the one God has for you. That I think that's just great that you don't date anybody and you're just saving yourself for the right one, right? They're fine with it for a while, but then, like I said, maybe not when you're exactly 18, but maybe 21, 22, 23, 25, 27. It starts to, the mood starts to change a little bit to people just feeling bad for you because you're single. And I want to argue tonight and say that your season of singleness, every preacher ever has said that when talking about this, your season of singleness is not only important, but I would say it is required to set you up for successful relationships. Here's why. You know that person who always has to be in a relationship who can't be single? Their relationships aren't that good, 
Why? Because they have never taken time to be single and kind of iron out some of the issues, and they just carry them from relationship to relationship to relationship and keep experiencing the same problems or the same. Those people also date people for like the same amount of time. Have you noticed? It could be a three-monther. It could be like a nine-monther. It could be a year and a halfer. It varies, but it's like each relationship is like the same this person for two years, and then they dated this person for two years, and then they were single for two months, and then they dated this person for two years, and then they were single for, like, you know, two months. The, the things repeat, and that is a sign that that person has some issues they haven't fully worked out during their time being single. And I'm not saying that you can't work out your issues in a relationship, but it's a lot easier to do it when you're alone. In a season of singleness, you're not really alone. We'll talk about that. But in a season of not having to manage somebody else and manage a relationship, you are able to really focus on yourself, not in a way that's selfish, but in a way that's really, really productive. So again, I want to say your time of singleness is not just important, but it is required, I would say, to set you up for a successful relationship. One thing I want to point out too that we see in the Bible, and I think we just don't think about sometimes, is that Jesus fulfilled the will of God like in its entirety by himself, single. And we're like, yeah, that's Jesus. Like it's kind of different. He was the son of God. That's true. But you know who else did it? The apostle Paul, which is really interesting. He was a super well-known guy, very popular. I'm sure it would not have been hard for him to get married. The Bible lets us know he was well-known. That's why it was a big deal when he got saved because everybody knew who he was. He was a well-known figure. He fulfilled the will of God by himself, single. And he kind of like humble bragged on it, really. <laughs> he said like, it's better for me to be single, but you guys, you should probably get married just so you don't fall into sin, which I think is sort of hilarious. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like we can see his like, like not his former self peek through, but we know he was extremely educated and very important. So sometimes I just think it's funny the tone that he writes with. Sometimes like has a little hint of that, like, no, I can handle, I can handle it being just being God, but you other people, you better just don't burn with lust, just get married. You know what I'm saying? That scripture just kind of makes me chuckle. I'm not sure that's the tone he said it in. I'm not trying to put an attitude in his mouth, but that's how I read it in my mind. So these people did huge things and actually fulfilled the entire will of God their whole life without ever getting married. So I'm not saying don't get married. I'm not saying you're going to be doing the entire will of God by yourself. But I think it's valid to note that it is not required that you be with somebody to really walk in all God has for you. That means you can start now. You can walk in all God has for you without another person. And when that person shows up, you'll be able to walk in that with them. So tonight I want to give you three things that you need to learn while you're single. Because it will be much harder to learn them when you're in a relationship. That's like the subtitle. You don't have to write that part down. Three things you need to learn while you're single. Number one, this is going to sound cheesy, but just hear me out. Learn to love yourself. Learn to love yourself. Let's look at Mark 12, verses 30 and 31 says this. For you are to love the Lord your God with a passionate heart from the depths of your soul, with your every thought and with all your strength. This is the great supreme commandment. And the second one is this. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. You will never find a greater commandment than these. But I want to hone in on that part that says you must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. And I hear quite a bit of emphasis placed on love your neighbor because don't we all need to hear that, right? 
The Bible says, love your enemies, pray for those who are terrible to you, love your neighbor. That's the part we usually hear. But the second part of the verse is just as important. It says, as you love yourself. What does that imply? You can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself, right? You can't love someone else if you don't love yourself. This is why we say that hurt people hurt people, right? Or we know the bullies at our school have probably been bullied sometime, maybe at home, maybe when they were younger. doesn't validate their actions or make it okay, but we see that damaged, broken people create damage and brokenness in other people. But in the same way, I cannot love someone else unless I love myself. And we have it so backwards. A lot of times the like Hollywood mentality is that I need to find somebody who teaches me how to love myself. They're going to love me so much that it will overwhelm my insecurity and I will be able then to love myself as well. Wouldn't that be pretty in like a wedding vow or something? Like you taught me how to love myself. But it's so unscriptural. God says, no, no. You're not to look for someone else to teach you how to love yourself. He tells us in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. So here's the key. If I want to be able to love you, I have to love me. And if I want to be able to love me, I have to know that God loves me. So instead of turning to another person to teach me how to love myself, which they are incapable of doing, and that's unfair pressure to put on another person, I need to turn to God and get love from him and know that I am fully loved. Then I can love myself and I can love others. And in my own life, I saw this play out in a really interesting way because I grew up typically being very confident. I, I really wasn't that insecure about a lot of things. I'm not bragging, but I, I always did well in school, and I always had, you know, teachers being like, oh, you're doing great. I wasn't that good at sports, but I still felt like I was, so, like, I didn't have insecurities there. <laughs> I was a lot tinier than everyone else, so I think I just chalked it up to, like, I'm the size of a 10-year-old, but I'm 13. All these other 13-year-olds are the size of, like, 20-year-olds. Like, I'm seven inches shorter than everyone. So, you know, I, but I grew up feeling really confident. I had great parents who encouraged me. I had people at church who encouraged me, and I really didn't encounter a whole lot that I wasn't good at, okay? I'm not good at everything, but I'm just saying growing up, I pretty much excelled at whatever I was trying to do, which wasn't anything major. But because of that, I grew up really confident, right? I was really loud, which is unfortunate. Still am, but I'm at least aware of it now. Um, I was pretty, pretty arrogant because, again, I really you know, thought I was pretty good. Um, I just didn't have a lot of insecurity. But then I got to a place probably in my mid-20s, where I started to not be so good at some of the things that I was trying to do in life, right? Maybe some relationships weren't going well. Maybe some instances where I was uh, set in a place to be a leader, I did, not, I did not do well as a leader. I did not lead well, right? Uh, maybe uh, different things at work that I encountered. Uh, you know, I was making mistakes, and I was, I was just not performing as well as I expected myself to because I had never really had that issue before. So, really kind of later in life than most people experience it, I became super insecure. And looking back on it, I see now that I, my confidence came just from being very sure of myself and my abilities, my own wisdom, my own knowledge, my own skill, whatever you want to say, 
That's why I grew up confident because pretty much anything that I wanted to do, I could do and I could do it well. Well, when I became an adult and that all really changed (laughs) and I encountered some of the challenges of life and I wasn't excelling, um, my confidence dropped because I was looking for it in the wrong place. And all of a sudden, I was somebody who had considered myself to be so confident and all of a sudden now, I don't like myself very much at all, right? My flaws are like glaring. They're very obvious. I feel like everyone can see them. I feel like I'm seeing them for the first time. It was a really uncomfortable realization. But the problem was that I was looking at myself. And I didn't love myself because I was looking at myself, right? Every single one of us has encountered that in one way or another. And the way that that changed for me was to say, okay, this thing that I've called confidence was really, really false (laughs) because it was just based on myself. It wasn't confidence. It was arrogance. There's a difference. It wasn't confidence. It was arrogance. So I had to turn to God and look at him and realize his love for me, even in the middle of my hot mess and even in the middle of all my mistakes and even in the middle of everything that I was not good at all of a sudden, God still loved me. And when I really got a hold of that truth, I became truly confident, not in my own abilities or what I can do, but because I know God loves me absolutely no matter what. And even more than loving me, he's willing to help me and pick me up when I fall and clean me up when I make a mess and all of those things. So I learned this in a really, really real way that I cannot love myself unless I know that God loves me. You cannot love yourself unless you know that God loves you. And if you don't love yourself, you cannot love another person. Just like my uh, confidence and my love of myself was just based on my performance, if that's all that you know and you don't love yourself truly, you're only going to love other people based on their performance as well. And you're only going to love them based on, uh, you know, how they're treating you that day. You might think you love somebody, and maybe you do have those feelings and emotions, but it's not really a love that will carry you through some of life's difficulties. Um, I heard this the other day. (laughs) It's not funny, but the preacher was kind of funny when he was saying it. Marriages have a 50% uh, chance of divorce. He was like, that's like getting on a plane knowing that there's a 50% chance that this is going to crash. Probably none of us would fly. We would drive. But tons of people get married, and I'm not saying don't. This is, this is not meant to be negative, but I'm saying let's not be unaware because if I don't truly love myself, I can't love someone else. And if I'm going to hook up in marriage with somebody, with all that hot mess going on, when things get really, really rough, it's going to fall apart. I'm going to be unpleasant. I'm going to be unhappy. And I'm probably going to attack the other person all because these fundamental kind of issues of loving myself and being able to love other people are not resolved. That's why I'm saying while you're single, learn how to love yourself. If you feel like you do and if you feel like you don't, I'm still going to challenge you and say you need to learn to really love yourself, not falsely like I did, but to really look at God and say, okay, God, I need you to talk to me about how much you love me so that I can love me too, and that's going to prepare me to love someone else. We love because he first loved us. So learn to love yourself. Like I said, it sounds like corny, but it's really helpful. Second thing I want to say Learn to live a pure life. Again, sounds kind of corny, but I want to clarify, I'm not just talking about sexual purity. That's included, but that's not really my emphasis here. Learn to live a pure life. I'm talking about really, really living a life that is clean 
and holy with the purpose of God using you. Remember last week when I said, when you're looking at somebody you might want to date, you've got to say, does this person's faith line up with mine? Does their calling complement mine? Can we really join together from a standpoint of serving God in unity and doing what we're called to do? Well, this is a big part of the prep work for that. Learning to live pure and live holy for the intent of God being able to use you. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 20 and 21 says this. In a palace, you find many kinds of containers and tableware for many different uses. Some are beautifully inlaid with gold or silver, but some are made of wood or earthenware. Clay is what it's saying. Some of them are used for banquets and special occasions and some for everyday use. Verse 21. Paul says this, but Timothy, you must not see your life and ministry this way. What is he saying? Don't see your life as just mundane, average. You're just here to live. No, he's saying don't look at your life like it's just an everyday thing. Your life and your ministry must not be disgraced, for you are to be a pure container of Christ, the anointing, and dedicated to the honorable purposes of your master, prepared for every good work that he gives you to do. What is he telling Timothy? Listen, don't discount yourself in your life. Don't take it lightly. You've got to live pure and holy so that you can be a container for what God wants to do. You can be a carrier of God's power. And I love you guys, and I know a lot of you pretty well, and I feel like that's something you guys really want. When I have some great conversations with a lot of you, you're saying, I just, I want to know what I'm called to do, and I want to serve God, and I want to do things the right way. You're going to have to learn to live pure. You're going to have to learn not just sexually pure, but you're going to have to learn to do things like forgive. Even when people do nasty things to you, why? That ruins the purity of this container. If I'm literally trying to be something holy, remember the Ark of the Covenant in Indiana Jones? It was so holy. The Ark of the Covenant in real life, it was so holy. Regular people couldn't touch it or they would die. Why? Because it was special. It carried the power of God. Well, in the New Testament, the Bible says, hey, you are now the Ark of the Covenant. You now carry the power of God. But if you want to be qualified to do that, you're going to have to keep yourself clean. It's a big deal. Don't let the devil trick you into that. I love that Paul says that to Timothy. Like, yeah, there's a lot of vessels. Some of them are for fancy parties. Some of them are just like your everyday dinnerware. Don't be deceived and think you're just made for everyday mundane use. You are not called just to work a nine-to-five job. You might work a nine-to-five job. Most of us are going to. That's fine, but that's not the purpose of why you're here. You're here to be a container for God's power and to be used by God. And I, I just want to tell you, I think it's so important to focus on this when you're single. Number one, because it's going to affect who you end up marrying and dating right? If I have worked really hard to be a clean vessel, right? In the last few years, God has really just helped me to learn to forgive and just let it go. Somebody gave me a great compliment the other day. They said, you're just really unbothered. And I was like, yes, and I've worked so hard to be this way. (laughs) This is not natural for me. But you could just say like any mean thing to my face right now, and I'm just going to be unbothered because I've worked really hard to be clean in that area and to learn to forgive and let things go. I've also worked really hard to be just disciplined in my daily devotion with God, in my prayer, and in my Bible reading time. That stuff keeps me clean, right? It keeps me pure. It makes me able to carry God's anointing and God's power. And I'm not telling you this to brag at all, but I'm saying those things take time. I'm turning 30 this year, and I'm just starting to feel like I have a good handle on some of that. 
It's just starting to. <laughs> it takes time to develop yourself and to learn to walk pure. But when you do, you're not going to get matched up just with anybody, right? When I've worked this hard to be able to qualify for what God has for me, and it's not about works, but it's just a matter of renewing your mind and putting your flesh down and learning to listen to your spirit. When I have worked so hard to learn to do that because I know there's such great benefit in it, I'm not going to fool around with somebody who's a hot mess and who's not pure and not keeping all that junk out of their heart, right? And it's so much easier to determine to do this and learn how to do this while you're single just for the sheer fact that you have enough time to do it and you don't have anybody else distracting you or influencing you. You are able to say, no, God, this is just me and you. And I know that I have got to make myself a clean vessel. You're going to help me, but I, I need you that I'm going to focus on you so that when the right person comes, I'm going to be ready. Because here's something to consider. If the person you're supposed to be with is a clean vessel setting themselves apart for God's use and they show up and they see you and you're not doing that, you know how interested they're going to be? Not very, <laughs> right? The right person could show up and not be interested in you because you didn't take the time to become what God's created you to be, right? And again, I don't mean to make this sound like it's about works or anything like that, but there is God's part and there is our part. And our part is basically just learning to be disciplined and listen to him. But I would not attract the right person if I was too busy being the wrong person right? If I want the right person, I also have to be the right person. That's why it's so important to take the time to learn to live a pure life and say, God, I, I really am committing to you without distraction right now. I don't have a spouse. I don't have a kids. I don't have a mortgage. Um, I barely have a dog. Like, let me just take this time. And listen, that was not exciting to me when I heard it in middle and high school. Everyone said that. You have so much time. Use your time. You'll never have this much time again. And frankly, I was feeling pretty busy and was like, that's kind of dumb. And like, I just always thought I was going to get with the right person and we would help each other grow so much. Um, let me just bring this to your attention as well. The Bible says something really interesting. And this is going to lead us into the third point. Okay, learn to live pure. Number three, learn to overcome your issues. Think about it this way. Literally, I, it was always my mentality, this is so dumb and I'm embarrassed to say it, that that other person was just going to really help me grow into who God created me to be. Because the Bible says, you know, your spouse is to help you or whatever. And all that's true. But think about this. This is wisdom coming for a minute, okay, you guys? Do you trust me? Okay, this is my 30th year of life wisdom coming out that I'm just starting to learn. The Bible says that when you become married, two become one flesh. I always, you know, that's so romantic. You could put it on your, like, little wedding program. Welcome to our ceremony, two becoming one. First Corinthians 13, blah, 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 blah. Two become one flesh. And I always thought, like, yes, you're going to be so much stronger and, like, more powerful, and you're going to have each other, and you're never going to be alone. And <laughs> let me just say, for two people to come together and be one strong person, they're going to have to be two separate strong people first, okay? Two hot messes do not unite in holy matrimony and become a strong marriage and a, a great relationship. Think about this logically for a second. I've had to learn to do this. 
Two becoming one. Okay, if each of these two people have like 20 major issues, guess what? You're going to unite and become one and now have 40 major issues. And not only are my issues my problem, your issues are also now my problem. So I don't even have time to fix myself, let alone fix you, because we have just united in a hot mess. When you come to a marriage, you bring all your strengths, but you also bring all of your weaknesses, all of your baggage. And like I said, I always thought like the other person is just designed and gifted to help you overcome those things. And while I do think that the other person is gifted to help you, there is responsibility for you to take control of your own emotions and your own shortcomings and say, Father, these are things that another person cannot fix. <laughs> these are beyond the repair of human ability and love and intellectualism and everything else. No, this is something that I got to deal with me and God. And that doesn't mean the other person's not helping me, but they are not equipped to fix all of my issues and my problems. Someone can compliment me all day long and I will still be insecure unless I know how much God loves me. I've got to take control and learn to overcome my issues. James 1 says this verses 19 through 25. It's a little long, so just hang with me. It says, Dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak. Be slow to become angry, for human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. I feel like sharing that on Facebook <laughs> for everyone who says, like, the Bible says you can be angry and sin not. You can, but also it says human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. Doesn't mean you can't be angry, but like your Facebook rant is never promoting God's purpose, okay? This is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked conduct. Instead, with a sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word, there's a key, which has been implanted within our nature, for the word of life has power to continually deliver us. Listen, if you need freedom, it's the word that has power to deliver you, not another person, not a relationship, not a spouse. They are not going to pull you out of your depression. The word of God is going to do that. They're not going to set you free from anxiety and give you peace of mind. They cannot. They don't have it in them to do that. They're not designed to do that. The word of God has power to continually deliver us. And verse 22 says this, don't just listen to the word and not respond to it. For that's the essence of self-deception. Always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. Verse 23, if you listen to the word and you don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty, or the word of God, are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all they do. Now, that was a large chunk of scripture. Let me break it down. You need the word of God for your whole life, but especially in your time of singleness, because it'll do two really important things, okay? The first one is it will show you what is wrong with you. I was, as I said, uh, when I was younger, I was very confident or arrogant. And probably if you asked me to, like, list my issues, I wouldn't have been able to list that many. I was so dumb, I didn't even know what was wrong with me. You can laugh. I, I'm telling you this. I was so dumb, I didn't even know what's wrong with me. And some of you might be there tonight. I'm not calling you dumb, but I am saying the first thing the Word of God will do that is so important is it will show you what's wrong with you. 
This is important so that you don't show up to a relationship and get blindsided when that other person's like, you know what? You're kind of selfish. You know what? You can be kind of difficult. You know what? Uh, When you get pressed, you really start to act nasty and treat other people badly, right? Or when that person comes to you and says like, hey, I need your faith on this. I need you to get in agreement with me about this really serious issue. You're like, okay, yeah, I can do that. You know, like there's no substance to really pull from in that moment. The word of God will show you what's wrong with you. And then what do those verses say? It's also going to fix what's wrong with you. You have got to have the word of God. It says it will continually deliver us. You need to go to the word in your time of singleness to identify your weaknesses and then let God turn them into strengths. This is so, so necessary. If you really want to show up to a relationship as a person who can really help that other person and move with them in the plan of God, you have got to know, number one, what are my issues? And number two, how do I get freedom? I've got to let God set me free. If I show up, like I said, with all that baggage, when two become one, guess what? It's going to be one hot mess. It's going to be one massive disaster. All your issues and all my issues put together are a lot of issues. So let me work to eliminate as many issues as I can so that when I show up and two become one, hey, this is a relationship of strength now. This is really a place of unity. This is really together a container that God can use. This is a place where God's power can function. Know why? Because I don't deal with strife anymore. I let the word of God show me I had that problem, and then I let the word of God set me free from that problem, right? I don't have trouble getting up and going to help other people. I'm not depressed anymore. Why? Because I let the word of God show me I had that problem and then set me free from that problem. And let me just tell you, it is so much easier to do this when you're single. So much easier. Think about it. When you are with somebody, even if you're not married, you're just dating. That person consumes so much of your time and energy I promise you, you don't have that much time to deal with like major issues in your life. It's a dumpster fire. And now my issues aren't only hurting me, they're also hurting that other person. And when we get married and we have kids, those issues could also hurt my kids, right? They could hurt my marriage. These things can turn into really big problems. And I don't mean to sound too intense about it or like doom and gloom about this, but I just want you to take it really seriously because the time that you have before that you're married and before you're in a serious relationship is just so valuable valuable because it is just the best time in your life to address some of those issues and you will be grateful forever that you dealt with them because if you don't choose to deal with it now you'll be forced to deal with it later it might not be a dumpster fire right now right it might just be a dumpster no fire (laughs) but when you bring your life together with someone else sparks are going to fly and stuff's going to go up in flames if you don't choose to let God heal you now You will be forced later when you crash and burn. And again, I'm not trying to be like doom and gloom. I'm just telling you, (laughs) I've crashed and burned a few times in my life. And I wish, even though, you know, I'm grateful and God has helped me so much and I'm grateful for where I am today, I still wish I had spent more time identifying those issues in my life and dealing with them and not just ignoring them, but letting the word of God heal me and really seeking out the help. Uh, Part of that verse compared the word of God to a mirror, right? When I look in a mirror, I'm looking for zits. 
and I'm looking for wrinkles. I'm looking for lipstick on my teeth, that kind of thing, right? I don't look in the mirror for good things. I'm looking in the mirror to find the bad things so I can deal with them. That's what the Word of God does for us. When you are reading your Bible and you're listening to other people teach on the Word of God, you're looking in a mirror, and that's why sometimes it's like a little uncomfortable. We don't like when people talk about certain things because we're like, ah, that's a zit. I didn't want you to see that. That's embarrassing, right? Don't like it. That's what the word of God is there for. It is a mirror for you to see the things that you need to bring healing to and address. So that's what I want to encourage you guys tonight. During your season of singleness, (laughs) I laughed every time I wrote that down just because I was like, I wish I could say it another way, but I don't know how, and it just sounds stupid. But during your season of singleness, I want you to learn to love yourself, learn to live a pure life, and learn to overcome your issues. And I want to leave you with just a few encouraging things, just foods for thought here. While you're single, I want to challenge you, don't allow yourself to become frustrated. This is a good time in your life. The things that God is doing in you now are very good. They will benefit you your whole life. Your whole life, you'll be so grateful. So don't be frustrated. Don't be jealous. Um, don't be confused. You know, I hear a lot of people that are just kind of like, I don't know. Like, I thought the right person would have showed up by now. I don't know why I'm still waiting. I don't know what God is doing. And I just always personally took that as a sign that there is still more in me that I need to let God heal. And that's why nothing is moving in my life. Because guess what? I'm not the right person yet. And it's not always fun to think that way, but it was the honest truth of the way that I thought of like, you know what, you know why I'm not in a relationship right now? Because I probably wouldn't be that good at it, and God is giving me more time to look into his word and fix some of the issues that I've got going on. So don't be confused. Don't act like, well, why? Why is this happening for everyone else? Why are they already married? You know, why are they this? Why are they that? No, don't get confused about it. This is your time to let God prepare you and let God bring healing and fix your issues. So don't be desperate. Don't settle. Don't be frustrated. Uh, and like I said, don't take everything I've said tonight as doom and gloom. Last week and the last couple of weeks, I feel like we were very positive about relationships. So Tonight was just a little bit more of like a personal accountability message, but I promise that I am speaking this to you just with a really genuine heart and just coming out of some of the hard lessons that I've had to learn and that the Holy Ghost has helped me learn when I was stubborn. Um, But I love you guys so much, and I just want to see you guys set up for success. Like I said, it's a very staggering and sobering statistic to realize that 50% of marriages will end in divorce. 50%. But, again, I said it last week, Pastor Jimmy Evans says, your marriage has a 100% success rate when you do it God's way. So that's what I hope we've demonstrated to you guys throughout this series. So I love you so much. And listen, I want to encourage you, if you have questions or you just feel like you need to talk about this or when you're dating somebody who have questions, go to your life group leaders. Talk to them about this. If you're frustrated on this topic, talk to them about it. Don't kind of walk through these things alone. Most of the time when people get in trouble in relationships, it's because they're trying to walk through it alone. So don't do that. Go to your life group leaders. You have people here who love you. And I'm going to pray in close so that we can go outside and play. Father, (laughs) go outside and play. (laughs) I'm sorry. Sometimes I'm just so not cool. Okay, we're going to go outside and hang out or whatever you guys want to (laughs) do. Father, we're really grateful for the help that's found in your word, Father. We know uh, that when we do things your way, we will see your blessing and your benefit on them, Father. And we thank you we are not without help. We are grateful for the word of God that shows us um, our, our shortcomings, Father, but also heals us from them and delivers us and frees us from them. So I just speak freedom over every person in this place tonight, Father. I thank you 
that you have a good future plan for each of them and great relationships plan for each of them. And I thank you that as they seek you, Father, and commit to do it your way, they're going to see the fruit of that in their lives, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To learn more about what's happening at The Quarry, check us out on social media 